We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Jia Ting Ye. Good evening. And William Young. Good evening. Both of whom just happen to work for Cadigalan Media. Tonight we'll be discussing remembering the Tiananmen Square incident here in Taiwan. A KMT delegation pops off to China for a forum. The Transitional Justice Commission's plans for the National Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall assisted suicide and the retirement of a Taiwan icon of the semiconductor industry. And we'll begin, though, with a bevy of headline-grabbing Taiwan-US-related news this week. Now, a draft US legislation is calling for American troops to participate in Taiwan's military exercises, and that falls under Section 1243 or 1243 of the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2019. And it states that the US Secretary of Defense should promote policies concerning exchanges that enhance Taiwan's security, including US participation in appropriate Taiwan exercises and also vice versa. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is refusing to comment on a report that the United States is planning to send an aircraft carrier battle group through the Taiwan Straits as a show of support towards the island. Now, that statement follows a report by Reuters news agency which said that US officials, speaking on condition of anonymity, as they usually do, are possibly eyeing a passage through the Taiwan Strait by the battle group There's also talk of possibly the battle group going down the Pacific coast of Taiwan. And if you're remotely interested, the last time a US carrier group sailed through the Taiwan Strait was in 2007. And if that wasn't enough, well, the government here in Taiwan is playing down reports that Donald Trump Jr. could attend next week's unveiling of the new American Institute in Taiwan compound, which is located in Taipei's Neihu district. Now, the statement follows claims made by Hong Kong's South China Morning Post newspaper, which cited yet another unnamed US source as saying that Trump Jr. is among the candidates that could possibly represent the United States and the Trump administration at the dedication ceremony. Apparently that's not true, though, or we don't know it's true. It's We don't know. The government's denying it. But we've had other reports that say the US could send Assistant Secretary of State for Educational and Cultural Affairs, Maria Royce, to the, well, to the AIT opening ceremony. So, Jieting, lots to digest there. Where shall we begin? Let's begin with the US troops taking part in exercises. Can you see that really happening? Um, I don't really think that is something that's thinkable to us right now, right? But I think we are in a time, a, a period of time where, you know, all the things, many things that we did not think was possible are now being spoke, discussed on the table. Um, the National Defense Authorization Act in the United States um, for the last several years running has increasingly added pro-Taiwan um, or Taiwan-friendly um, items in that, in that bill, which authorizes, um, it's, a, it's a budget bill spending for all military affairs. Um, so it does get attached with a lot of these sort of more aspirational um, items, but you know, it, it's, it's definitely a trend that um, we've seen the past couple of years where the uh, U.S. NDAA is, um, has uh, these sort of Taiwan-friendly items in them. William, U.S. troops in Taiwan, a possibility or a bit of a pipe dream? I'd say at this point, uh, 
looking at the past recent uh, media reports and also discussions around the uh, similar situations, while the U.S. Uh, disinvited China from the uh, annual drill uh, in the Pacific Rim, you know, may actually uh, show that the U.S. is being worried about China's influence in South China Sea. At the same time, uh, following the re- recent trend is that the media reports uh, on issues between Taiwan, China, and the U- United States have always been a little bit too, uh, like, hyped up, I would say. So um, the, I, I, I'd say now for us is to just uh, sit back and really uh, see what really develops in, in reality rather than uh, being too, like, suck up into the actual media reports and then uh, having all these, like, uh, discussions in any and uh, realize that nothing is actually going to really happen from the US side. Mm, lots of hype, obviously lots of hype. I read lots of hype when I introduced the section, Jerting, of course, and a US carrier group through the Taiwan Strait, good or bad timing if it happens at all? Um, I think if we look at um, that instance in isolation, you know, I it, it, it is not that big of a deal as you mentioned um in 2007 there was a carrier group that sailed through the taiwan strait um and last year there were u.s troop uh, u.s ships that sailed through the taiwan strait as well um you know the u.s uh, conducts these exercises in the Ch- south china sea which is um you know from the chinese perspective just as disputed uh, you know they claim sovereignty over that but they they claim control over that and you know and as well as the taiwan strait um but i think again just Putting all of these, um, looking at all of these items together, right? We definitely see a um, very clear trend that the U.S. is trying to um, sort of try to figure out where they can make um, a difference, where they can sort of go beyond what has always been business as usual between the U.S. and Taiwan, um, and then kind of you know see how far they can push that envelope. And I, I, I guess I would like to add that the fact that. Uh, in the re- past few weeks, uh, the, the U.S. has been, you know, trying to like engage itself again in South China Sea after China has been uh, exercising so much uh, power and uh, aggressive moves uh, in in the past year. Uh, I'd say that the timing is actually uh, a sign that you know shows that the U.S. is going to maybe uh, start to re-engage itself again in the region so that uh, China will understand that it cannot just uh, do whatever it wants or uh, send uh, the aircraft carrier through the Taiwan Strait uh, whenever it wants to uh, either intimidate the Taiwanese population or uh, the the Taiwanese government over here. So I think it's it can be interpreted as uh, both a gesture of reassuring Taiwan in a way, but at the same time, uh, sending a moderate warning to China that uh, you know they they are not able to really just uh, get the full control in the area just yet. Right, let's pop off to the embassy dedication or the American Institute in Taiwan dedication next Tuesday. Of course, it falls on the same day, William, as um, a Mr. Trump is meeting a Mr. Kim in Singapore. So it's going to be overshadowed somewhat by... I think definitely uh, in, in, in the original reporting, uh, this originally very highly anticipated uh, news because of the fact that Trump has uh, suddenly scheduled the summit on the same day as the opening... And in that case, uh, m- most of the attention is going to shift over to Singapore rather than staying in Taipei. And uh, in my private talks with some uh, 
friends or uh, close people in the diplomatic uh, community over here. The fact is that they don't really think... uh, the, the the public should focus too much on uh, who the government uh, in in Washington is sending over here and like how that actually means uh, for the bilateral relations because the fact is uh, to for the public to really uh, l- look at the opening of the new building the new compound and then really get to learn about the new compound instead of you know being again too uh, engaged in the uh, hypothetical uh, guessing games about, you know, uh, who the administration is going to send and what that single move is going to mean for the bilateral relations. I think that that's pretty much right because, uh, like, at at the end of the day, uh, what goes on here in Taipei on a day-to-day basis is way more important than, you know, like the one-day visit that someone from Washington is coming. Yeah, Yeah, and and I tend to agree. I... You know, I think there is a little bit too much um, hype and too much expectation around who this you know mystery guest may be. Um, you know that I think that could be because it's the the timing is right around when the Taiwan Travel Act was passed, and uh, people are kind of looking to the United States to see if they can send somebody here um, that is higher of a higher stat like stature than you know people in the past. You know, something that's a little bit more high profile. You know, I think people are reading the tea leaves a little bit too much. Um, you know, as William said, I don't think it's terribly important um, who shows up. Um, that said, just because people are reading the tea leaves, it is a symbolic gesture. And I think, um, you know, whether it is you know, Donald Trump Jr. or somebody else, you know, it will, you know, just because people are paying so much attention to it, it will be interpreted one way or another. Um, so I think all we can do is, you know, sit back and listen to next week's Taiwan this week and to see who actually came. Mary Royce, apparently, that, that's who they're saying. She beats Donald Trump Jr. hands mm-hmm. down on these on the bet that's going around to see who will come. Because she's an educational and cultural affairs minister. Well, you know, I I think if if it's her, I mean, it, it's definitely less high profile, right? It's definitely something that's you know more just her title suggests that's something that's more practical, something that's you know we're we're just really looking to um, you know we're focusing on, on on the affairs rather than the um, you know sort of the, co- the connection or the proximity to the president. Um, you know, then again, I think if she were to be the one to actually appear, um, they, there will be people who will feel disappointed, right? You know, now you have, there's all this talk, we talk about carriers, we talk about port calls, we talk about, you know, American troops training with Taiwanese in Taiwanese exercises. And then, you know, when all is said and done, or, you know, at least with this one particular instance, it's somebody whose, you know, name is not a household name in, the, in, in Taiwan, shows up, you know, I, I think it's going to be a little bit of a letdown. Um, and it will cast some doubt on all of the other issues that we are talking about right now. 
Right, and moving on, and the government and civic groups this week here in Taiwan commemorated the 29th anniversary of the pro-democracy movement in China's Tiananmen Square. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen talked about democracy on her Facebook page, and she used simplified Chinese characters to do so. And writing in her post, Tsai said that she believes the tragedy can be turned into a foundation on which China can move toward a society that embraces freedom and democracy. But only if Beijing faces up to history. And admits the killing of civilians in Tiananmen Square. She also said that she hopes Chinese netizens can one day freely access her Facebook page. Of course, Facebook is banned in China, but this didn't stop Beijing from getting iry feelings about this. And well, they didn't really like Tsai Ing-wen posting anything about their country on Facebook. Now, an official from China's Taiwan Affairs Office said that Tsai and the DPP have no qualifications to make such irresponsible remarks. And it went on to say that the people of the mainland have the most right to speak. And if that wasn't enough, they also accused President Tsai Ing-wen of pushing a separatist agenda and seeking confrontation with China, and they went on to say that companies and young people are leaving for China because they are being denied opportunities at home in Taiwan. So, William, I mean, a lot of bluster from Beijing, and all, all Tsai Ing-wen did was make a few comments on Facebook. I think that follows a trend、uh, since she took office.、Uh, that whenever she made a pretty public uh, statement. Uh, Regarding anything that happens in China, or even just addressing、uh, things related to China, Beijing is always going to have a very harsh、uh, response to that. And、uh, again, the the the, the same lines goes uh, from uh, back in 2016 is that you know、uh, the Taiwan Taiwan is not offering、uh, its youth or its、uh, population what it deserves, and so that's why so many、uh, Taiwanese people are going over there, and then. Uh, it also, you know, follows the trend of how they started the 31 uh, beneficiary uh, policy towards Taiwanese people, and then, you know, that that goes back to how、uh, Beijing is just going to、uh, do whatever it takes to discredit、uh, the current government's.、Uh, I mean, I guess work. On Taiwan and then promoting、uh, democracy and human rights、uh, in the region. I mean, it's a little bit of a song and dance that every, you know,、uh, every year people do around the Tiananmen Square、um, commemoration.、Um, you know, I think it is, of course,、uh, the right thing to do for President Tsai to speak on something that is、um, you know, such a watershed moment、um, in you know the regional Asian、uh, modern. History of、uh, the region,、um, but also something that speaks really to Taiwan's、um, uniqueness as being, you know, the most vibrant demo- like democracy in the region.、Um, you know, I think it's actually more. I would be more worried if、uh, if China, if Beijing did not actually say anything, <clears throat> right? Because to me, that signals that Beijing just doesn't really care about Taiwan and doesn't care about Tai because you know they don't think Tai is being a threat anymore. Right, and you know, every time they have this visceral、um, reaction, it's because they feel, you know, they feel threatened, right? And they feel that,、um, you know, some they have to come out and say something in in response.、Um, you know, I think for, you know, I I, I think I think for something like,、um, you know, we talk about the actual, 
the actual issue of young people and companies leaving Taiwan for China. I mean, that has really nothing to do with Tiananmen uh, Square and you know, itself. So, you know, I, I think there's, it's just confounding a lot of different things together. Um, China doesn't miss a beat and doesn't miss an opportunity to take a swipe at the DPP administration. And of course, Facebook is not available in China and Tiananmen Square didn't happen. Oh right, you know, of course, Hai is just making stuff up, right? Uh, right, that's that's of course what's going on. And apparently, there were, of course, they had the annual rally in Taipei to commemorate Tiananmen Square. Yes, uh, we were there on the ground uh, on that evening, uh, doing some uh, interviews and uh, re- re- reporting about the uh, gathering. But one thing that really uh, concerns me on the ground uh, on that night is the fact that how little the turnout is and. Uh, while uh, uh, at, simultaneously in Hong Kong, there are more than eleven, one hundred ten thousand, uh, you know, Hong, Hong Kongers uh, turn out at the visual in Hong Kong. So that really just shows. Uh, and a, a, a lot of the comments on uh, social media over here in Taiwan is the fact that how they considered this as a foreign country's matter. So Taiwanese people should not be as engaged as, you know, like uh, if it's a internal or domestic matter. But the fact is, uh, I, I think the Taiwanese people, especially the younger generation, needs to remember is that uh, they cannot disengage China and then think that that's just going to save Taiwan uh, from all the threats, threats from the other side of the strait. The fact is that, you know, uh, if you if you want to defend yourself well against the enemy, you should be uh, knowing what they're doing, what they're saying, and what they're trying to develop rather than being very disengaged and uh, saying, you know, uh, simply uh, writing the whole like uh, June 4th off as just a simple uh, foreign country's affair. Um, so I was actually in elementary school um, in Taiwan in 1989 uh, when the massacre happened. Um, and I remember for some time we had to watch um, videos of reporting on the, uh, on, on the massacre. Um, we had to observe moments of silence. We had to... Um, you know, stand up in, in, in class. And back then, the, um, there, was, there was just so much emotion back then against um, what the Chinese government was doing to its people. But the, the way it was framed was more, well, these are our Chinese brothers and sisters. We are all Chinese, and therefore we need to condemn the communist regime for massacring our compatriots on the mainland. Um, of course, that kind of um, framing of the issue is not as salient to the people of Taiwan today. Um, you know, so I think if people in Taiwan still think of Tiananmen as, oh well, you know, don't tell me I should, you know, pay attention to that because I'm Chinese, you know, because I'm not, right? But I think there should be a new sort of framing as, well, China, for better or for worse, is Taiwan's closest neighbor and a very large neighbor and specifically has ulterior motives and an agenda against Taiwan, right? And so not only, as William said, you should understand it, but to condemn the Chinese government when they, when they do things that to their own people that are against the values that, you know, Taiwanese society holds. And I think that is um, something that is within the right of the people in Taiwan to do. And I think that is um, something that, any, as William said, anybody who cares about Taiwan's um, 
survival, Taiwan's sovereignty, or even Taiwan's um, standing in the region, it's something that they should really care about. And we'll move on to more cross-strait talk. And this, we're going to talk about now talk between talk, talk of talk, like talk between the KMT and the Chinese Communist Party. Because this week, KMT Vice Chairman Haolong Bin was leading a delegation of party members to Sharman to attend the annual 10th Straits Forum. Now, meeting with Wang Yang, the chairman of the National Committee of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference. What a mouthful there. How does he fit all that in his name card, really? Anyway, how reiterated the KMT's belief in the 19th 1992 consensus and also the party's opposition to Taiwan independence. How failed, however, to bring up the different interpretation components of the so-called 1992 consensus. And he went on to tell the Chinese officials that he hoped the two sides of the Taiwan Straits can go from feeling as close as one family to becoming an actual family member group. And he also, of course, touted the KMT's efforts to improve cross-strait relations. So, William, I mean, he put his, he might have put his foot in his mouth or his mouth in his foot with that last comment about how, how they can all become one family member. Totally. But I, I, I think this uh, visit to uh, Shaman and then how the, 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 the comments, remarks that uh, how long being made during the uh, event just shows how desperate uh, the KMT is to try to, uh, you know, crawl back into the political game or the political scene after a landslide defeat in, uh, in, in back in 2015 and then how, you know, continuously uh, their voice just seems to be more and more irrelevant uh, domestically. But uh, at, at the same, and then they they realize that uh, there is a growing uh, this uh, I, I guess like disapproval towards uh, the DPP government in the past two years, and then they see a, a slight chance for them to play along the uh, so-called unification slash independence uh, rhetoric. So uh, they're using any opportunity that they have to really uh, more position themselves. Uh, towards uh, re, uh, unification right now rather than uh, more than ever yeah yeah and um, you know these um, these things that how uh, long been is saying to Wang um, Yang uh, in Xiamen is it's really nothing new right um, and when the former president Ma Ying-jeou met with Xi Jinping in Singapore, he did not bring up the different interpretations part of um, what, I, what the KMT's conception of the so-called 1992 consensus. Um, you know, I agree with William. I think they are trying to double down on their um, sort of core, their, their their sort of core platform. With uh, you know, the more we can be friendly and the more we can, you know please China, you know, the more China will let us kind of do our own thing. And, you know, I think that conception of how, you know, of the current situation might have worked, you know, 10 years ago, but it's definitely not um, what is going on right now. I think if people look to what's going on in Hong Kong and what is going on with, you know, just the Chinese government stepping up its, uh, you know, efforts and trying to you know, just even erase Taiwan from, you know, foreign companies' websites when you sign up for something or when you try to, you know, when you look up a pull-down menu. You know, I think it's these things that are really causing the people in Taiwan to have a negative reaction to, you know, whatever China is saying. And for the second largest political party in Taiwan to then, you know, at this current juncture to go over to China and then to... You know, basically, plead, you know, 
pledge allegiance to you know the one China principle. You know, I think it's. I, I don't really understand what you know that benefits. You know, how that would benefit the KMT. But of course, there was talk. Of course, Mind Joe, eight years in office, cozied up to China. One could argue, or basically improved cross-strait ties, depending on one's political bent on that argument. But I mean, there was all this talk towards the end of Mao's tenure that that, that Beijing didn't trust the KMT anymore. And could you think how long being on the, the KMT now are trying to rectify that situation? I think they're、uh, definitely trying to、uh, sh- prove to Beijing that they're、uh, willing to fully align.、Uh, Their agenda, along with what Beijing, Beijing's views are on Taipei, but、uh, what following up on, on what you just said、uh, that Beijing maybe no longer really trusts KMT anymore. I think it's the fact that how、uh, towards the the end of Ma's,、uh, I mean tenure,、uh, he domestically he's、uh, you know be, being like fighting so many like、uh, crises, and at the same time、uh, he is being very.、Uh, I guess not p- be being very consistent in terms of like when it, when he's talking to Beijing and when he's talk、uh, talking to the Taiwanese people, he's always ensuring the Taiwanese population that、uh, we're not going to、uh, sell Taiwan to China yet. But then at the same time, kept going back to Beijing and said, you know,、uh, we're here and we're、uh, fully cooperated、uh, with what.、Well, Whatever that you want to、uh, hope to achieve with、uh, the cross-strait relations, so that that I think is what caused Beijing to start、uh, not trusting KMT as much. But now for the KMT to go back and then trying to please China as much as they can, and then、uh, play into the、uh, concern about、uh, Taiwan's status in the future, I think this is just not really going to help them in any、uh, realistic way,、uh, especially towards、uh, that that we're entering in. To the campaign、uh, climax for the uh, annual, uh, uh, I mean, national election at the end of the year. Yeah, I think for the the Communist Party to not trust the KMT, I think what that means to me is that the Communist Party does not trust the KMT to s- hold enough power to actually bring Taiwan closer to China. Right. So originally. The、um, model was okay. Well, the KMT, you guys are in power, and you guys, you know, and and that it, policies to benefit the people of Taiwan when you are closer to China, right? And that's how China plans to sort of pull、um, people from Taiwan into its orbit through sort of these carrots、um, type of、um, it was carrots rather than sticks kind of、uh, policies. Um, but you know, as the KMT was lo- quickly losing popularity amongst、uh, the people in Taiwan, and as you know, KMT basically proved themselves to be incapable of, you know, bringing economic progress to the、um, sort of the vast sort of majority of the people in Taiwan. You know, I think the CCP is kind of saying, well, you know, we don't want to bet on this horse anymore because, you know, as lo- as much as they say they are aligned with us, if they don't hold power, you know, it's kind of pointless. And so, you know, I think that's that's what that means to me.
And we'll stay with politics, but of a different kind of politics, a previous politics, and this being the future of the National Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall. And of course, there lieth in a huge statue of Chiang Kai-shek, and the Transitional Justice Commission this week basically came out and said, well... We're going to deal with that first. We've got the, the Transitional Justice Committee. has got this big list of things it plans to do, and the statue is the first thing. Now, according to Young Sway of the Commission, they could remove the statue, they could keep the statue, or they could basically break up the statue into tiny pieces, William. I, I, again, go, go, going back to the uh, transitional justice, I think this is one area that uh, Taiwan has done uh, a, a lot of the things that uh, is good for Taiwan overall. And at the same time, uh, she's on, you know, like uh, on track of like uh, achieving what she hopes to achieve uh, by the end of her first term. And uh, definitely tackling uh, Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall needs to be the uh, first and uh, most important move for them to really kick off this whole campaign. And uh, in terms of the statue, um, I think listing out all these options is to just uh, show the overall general Taiwanese public that uh, they're not just going to forcefully uh, do whatever that they want. I mean, I I personal, and then, you know, like they, they would lay out different options and then uh, see what is the best way to provide a more comprehensive context for not just uh, domestic visitors, but also foreign visitors who uh, visit uh, Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall at uh, hundreds of numbers uh, on, on a daily basis over there to really learn about Taiwan's past and uh, its path towards democracy. So uh, I, I think the discussion around uh, how to treat the statue is definitely necessary and a very important first move uh, for us to see how the whole uh, transitional justice agenda is going to be laid out. I mean, Jieting, destroying it, that could cause a lot of problems, obviously. Yeah, um, I think that would be a pretty blunt way to go about it. Um, there's, of course, um, still a such uh, significant sector of the population that um you know have memories or have you know they, they do support um you know sort of the, the the legacy of Chiang Kai-shek or you know and, and then I, I believe there's <clears throat> definitely people who say well you know just leave well enough alone right this is the past let's you know it, it's there but you know it's been part of the Taipei you know urban landscape for um, however many years, let's just, you know, like, let's just keep it around. Um, you know, I think in terms of what to do with the statue, um, I would like to look at it in conjunction with, well, what are you going to do with the land after um, these needs for trans transitional justice is satisfied, right? It is a very, very prominent piece of real estate in the middle of downtown Taipei, right? And, um, you know, the, the square itself has a lot of history. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. I think there's, um, to me, I would like to be a little bit more, for <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit more forward thinking and to imagine what that space could be rather than, you know, what do we do with what is currently there? You know, I think that if we can come up with some sort of attractive and inspirational vision for what we can do with that space, I think the question of what to do with the existing structures would be a lot less of a controversy. Um, now, of course, they can't actually knock down two of the structures, because one's the National Concert Hall, and one's the National Theatre. 
<laughs> right, but then there's also the memorial sort of hall, like hall or um, tomb, right? There's the 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 octagonal, you know, the temple structure. of heaven, based on the temple of heaven right. in Beijing, basically. Right, um, and I just you know, it, the structure was only completed in 1980, right? So it's not even you know, it's not a historical you know structure or building that lasts you know decades or you know centuries in the past. You know, so I I think it's 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 good that it's being discussed,、um, and I think it's a it's a good thing that you know this is being moved forward. I would also like to see more you know discussion of how we are going to be able to use that space、um, going forward.、So. Right, William, you're in charge. What do you what do we use the space as? You're the big boss. What do you want to do with it? I definitely say that turn the memorial itself into a more.、Uh, Multi-purpose,、uh, I guess, a display of really、uh, what led Taiwan to、uh, where we are right now. So, definitely a very comprehensive、uh, look at、uh, from when the Nationalist Party, I mean, that government、uh, moved retreated from the、uh, chi- from China to Taiwan, and then、uh, how. Uh, you know, during the process,、uh, Chiang Kai-shek's、uh, actual image is.、Uh, Like playing out in Taiwan's uh, past uh, political history, and then, or、uh, you know, like how how like the uprising against the、um, nationalist government、uh, started, and then、uh, how that was uh, being uh, oppressed, but then、uh, eventually, you know, like we got to where we are right now, with, which is a full functioning democracy that、uh, has been a. Beacon of、uh, example that people in the region are looking to. So on that grounds, theoretically, they, you believe they may, maybe they could keep his statue there and make his statue part of that type of exhibition or show. Um, maybe not keep the original statue because that's just way too、uh, big, and then、uh, also way, way、uh, position him in in the two. I, I guess like.、Uh, I don't know, respected position. So maybe a different statue that、uh, is not as being supreme as it is right now, and then、uh, definitely install、uh, other important figures along Taiwan's、uh, democratic history, so that、uh, people will have a more、uh, comprehensive context to look at Taiwan、uh, differently.、Uh, how I would use it, you know what? I would probably、uh, put our legislative yuan. In uh in that building, and so take out the statue. I don't, you know, we could talk about what to do with the actual statue, but you know, I I think wouldn't that be a very interesting symbolic gesture, right? It's the assembly of the people now taking over the memorial hall of the dictator from the last century. It's a bit small. Oh no no they don't have to they don't have to they don't have to work in there they just have to you know all, they just have to gather there and vote there and I don't know what else legislators do there、um, but you know if、uh, you know being closer to concert hall and the theater you know might just also raise the cultural you know, level of our legislators in general not that they need it but you know what about have either of you two been to the park in Taoyuan where they have the where they moved a lot of the statues of Chiang Kai Shek. I've passed by, but not actually spent enough time、uh, in the park.、Um, same here. I haven't actually gone into the park,、um, but I actually grew. That's actually my hometown. So I grew up in Dashi, and、um, I actually still remember when the、um, back in two thousand. I think it was two thousand four, or back in the first DPP administration when、um, Premier Yoshikun 
at the time proposed that they move all of these you know large and small statues of Chiang Kai-shek from all over the country to uh, this park. You know, and and I think you know, as as a local, I'm saying you know, I don't want these statues in my hometown. Like that's just kind of creepy to me. And then there are people who are saying, well, you know, it increases tourism. You know, like Chiang Kai-shek is the reason why people go to Dashi. And I told them, you know, that's really sad. Okay, like Dashi is a cool place even without Chiang Kai-shek's、uh, statues. And You know, just just a little bit of context, right? His actual body is there as well, right? The park is in this、uh, in the sort of the garden、um, behind the mausoleum that now currently houses、uh, Chiang Kai-shek's preserved,、uh, you know, corpse. So, I actually went there. I've actually been to the park. It, it, it's 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 a very nice park. It was done very tastefully, and there was no way that you could ever call it degrading. It's very nice, actually. There you go. And we'll move in a completely different direction now. And well, we'll talk about assisted suicide. This is because sports anchor Fudaren ended his life by assisted suicide in Switzerland this Thursday, at the age of eighty-five. Now, of course, Fu was a very, very well-known sports commentator, sports television anchor personality, and basically sporty type person. Did a lot of sports when he was young. Sadly, he was suffering from terminal pancreatic cancer for two years. Now, he first travelled to Switzerland last year to join a Legal Medical Institute that offers assisted suicide, but then he delayed ending his life for personal reasons and came back to Taiwan. But he returned to Switzerland finally late last month with his family, and basically ended his life this Thursday. Like I said, now Fu frequently posted messages on his Facebook page during his final days. In Switzerland, where he discussed his views on assisted suicide and also campaigned to have euthanasia legalized here in Taiwan. And interestingly enough, a recent poll, which was released after Fu announced that he was traveling to Switzerland to end his life, found that 92% of respondents here in Taiwan voted in favor of legalizing assisted suicide, and a mere 1% opposed such a move. That is actually a little surprising to me.、Um... You know, for people, you know, for to take this poll at its face value to represent the sentiment of the Taiwanese public in general,、um, I didn't know people in Taiwan were kind of open to this idea. You know, I think to me, traditionally, life and death has,、um, you know, it, it is it, it's at once very personal, but also very、um, tied with a lot of you know, familial duties and ideas of. You know, you cannot just kind of do whatever you want and end your own life,、um, because you have responsibilities to your family and to your community and things like that. So I'm actually pretty surprised that that 92% of the people polled said they、uh, support such a move. I'm actually not surprised by that.、Uh, I, I guess it's also because.、Uh, What my I personally went through with my family in the past few years, and then、uh, how my、uh, family members and people around me have been discussing about how the I I think the at the overall attitude uh, towards uh, like uh, in, I mean like very intensive treatment、uh, when you know someone is going through a life threatening uh, uh, disease or illness、uh, has changed in Taiwan.、Uh, they no longer see it as necessary to do whatever it takes to. Uh, save someone when they're clearly not really there, you know, w- with us,、uh, either physically or spiritually anymore. So,、um, 
at least starting with my parents' uh, generation now, which is uh, about in their 60s and uh, is the uh, generation that's from the 50s, uh, I mean, late 40s and uh, early 50s, is that uh, they, uh, in fact, wish that, you know, life, the the, the choice of uh, whether extending life or not should be uh, fully decided uh, by the individual itself based on, uh, uh, you know, like their personal well and then their personal feeling towards how they're actually going through life uh physically and uh that 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 uh, that i think aligns well with uh, euthanasia in general uh because you know that that's like going back to handing the rights and a uh, decision of uh whether extending life or not back to the individual itself rather than the family members making decisions that maybe actually the does not uh fully re- reflect how the uh individual that's going through the uh pain uh, actually wants. Yeah, no, I um, I actually read about this news and I was um, it, you know, I, I think I think something's having a high profile um, you know, personality you know, campaign for something like this which is, you know, I, I still feel is rather unusual in Taiwan and, you know, going through um, assisted suicide, ending his own life on his own terms um, himself. You know, I, I I think it's good that people are talking about this and kind of having you know this this uh, this debate here in Taiwan. Um, you know, I I think it, this kind of reminds me of um, things such, for example, such as abortion, right, which is a very controversial topic in the United States, but is not an issue here in Taiwan at all, right? And so, you know, perhaps this is something where people in Taiwan is saying, you know, we can open these things up to more personal choice and personal freedom. Um, you know, just because we legalize it doesn't mean we are telling people to, encouraging people to do it. Um, but it's really up to the individual and, um, you know, whoever is, you know, in that, you know, the circle of decision-making for their um, care um, to, to decide. Yeah. And before we go today, well, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Chairman Morris Jung retired this week after leading the company for 30 years. 30 years. TSMC, what a company. It's known globally, but, I mean, Jieting, do you think Morris Jung is like a, an icon to all generations of workers here in most fields? I mean, do you think they look up to Morris Jung and go, what a guy, he did great things? I would say so in general. Um, you know, I think TSMC is generally very um, well well-respected and, you know, uh, Morris Song has, um, you know, not been really involved himself in the controversies of the day. Instead, to just basically grow his company, um, you know, of course. And I, I would like to. I, I think I would say he kind of avoided some of these. You know, you have to side with Taiwan or China, or if you don't side with China, we're going to you know, shut down your company, you know, your operations, you know, in China, kind of thing. Um, you know, I think just generally he's known to be a pretty, you know, upstanding guy. You know, I think there are people who um, might criticize him for keeping TSMC as purely a business-to-business supplier um, company and not moving Taiwan up the value chain towards design and branding. Um, but, you know, that's just, that's that's what happened. And I think people can have um, discussions about that. 
Yeah, and I, I, I would definitely say that uh, he is a very, uh, like, I mean, practical guy that just go about the business rather than uh, comparing to Terry Guo, who is a completely different character that likes the attention and likes to make bold statements that, you know, uh, tries to, like, uh, affect the direction of uh, discussion in Taiwan that is going. So I I think in general, uh, overall in society, uh, uh, more John's uh, image is definitely uh, being considered as a more respected individual and less controversial than comparing to Terry Guo. And uh, just just, uh, look at what he has done and helped uh, to establish in Taiwan. TSMC is still... uh, a company that's uh, leading the way in Taiwan's uh, tech innovation, even though um, there have been reports that um, their growth is going to face a big challenge after, you know, uh, some of its uh, some of the um, things that they rely so heavily on uh, for its growth uh, in in the past uh, few decades is going to start uh, seeing a decline. But I think overall, uh, what he has shown and uh, established in Taiwan. Uh, through TSMC is definitely uh, very hard for anyone to surpass or even uh, erase it from the Taiwanese uh, industrial history, uh, even for decades to come. And of course, he was known. He took the MRT to work. You yep. would never. You were not going to catch Terry Gore on the MRT, are you, Jetting? Yeah, I. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. That's where we'll leave it this week here on Taiwan This Week, and I've been joined in the studio today by Jetting Ye. It's good to be here. And William Young. Glad to be back. And we'll see you next week here on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.